Well, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, what a wonderful event this is. It is the foundation of the Christian message. Apart from the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, what would Christianity be? Apart from the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we may have had left to us maybe the teachings of this great man, Jesus Christ. We would have maybe left to us the example of the life that he lived. But really, when it is all said and done, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that really makes Christianity what it is. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes the Christian faith not only that which is useful in this life, but is useful, more than useful, necessary for the life to come. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ will not only guide you through all the perplexities of this day and this life, the gospel of Jesus Christ will bring you to the end of your days with hope for the future. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the very reality, not only of the cross, but the reality of an empty tomb. The gift to you and me, this great hope that nothing can extinguish within our hearts. And what I want to do this morning is I want to take a look at this passage of scripture that I read to you. We want to see the account of these ladies who come to this tomb. I think that when the women came to the tomb, their hearts must have been weighed down with all the events that had just recently happened. I know for a fact he didn't come thinking that the Lord was going to be raised. Did you see in the text of Scripture? They came with these spices, these, these embalming spices uh, to prepare the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were preparing to give a proper uh, burial to the one who had already been dead. They were preparing for his death, not for his resurrection. And so they come to the tomb. As I said before, there must have been great, uh, great weight of depression upon them. They must have been thinking that everything that they had once longed for had all been dashed and were not, was now laying in the grave. But we will see by way of the testimony of the angel, by way of this empty tomb, it's not the end for them. Great hope was yet to break on upon them. And I want you to understand this. I want you to see this. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is able to do that in your situation as well. Sometimes life seems to be weighing very heavy upon you. Sometimes it seems as though your best hopes were now dashed hopes. But the gospel of Jesus Christ reminds you that all those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ shall see a coming together of all of God's purposes for them. I hope your desires are, are, are one with God's desires for you. We'll develop this as we go on. The second thing I want you to see, it's very interesting. We'll look at this, we'll develop this. But the second point of how we'll treat this passage of Scripture is all going to be contained or revolve around the angel and the testimony of the angels. I find it very interesting that when the ladies came to the empty tomb and they were much perplexed, and when, they, and when the angel encounters them, the angel does not say to them, he, is, he does say, he is not here, he is risen, but he doesn't say, look into the tomb for the proof of that. That would have been sufficient. Physical evidence of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ was, was very significant. The Lord himself says to Thomas, reach in hither, put your hand here. There's this, there's this physical evidence, this empirical evidence. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I find significant is this, is that the angel says to the ladies, remember the words. You see, the words of Jesus Christ, sufficient proof that he's risen from the dead. And we're going to take a look here uh, shortly. We're going to see over and over again how our Lord spoke of, a, spoke of his death, yes, but also of his resurrection. This was no surprise to the Lord Jesus Christ. It should have been no surprise to his followers. But again, we're not going to be too harsh on them this morning. 
If we would have seen our Lord Jesus Christ, our hopes would have been dashed as well. Maybe the reality of the moment would have, would have caused us to lose sight of everything else. We'll develop these things. But the third thing that I want you to see is this. Everything changes uh, for these ladies, for these women. Everything changes when they remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when all is said and done, this is what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those words which teach us that he could, that death could not hold him in the grave. Those words which teach us that by his death and rising again from the dead, you and I have the hope of eternal life. And so the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's work through this passage of scripture then and let's consider each of these points uh, in our outline. The first thing I want you to think along uh, with me is what we see here in, uh, in, verses, uh, uh, in verses 1 through 3. Notice what we have here. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. I just want you to think along with me for a few minutes here with this trip that the ladies took on that very early first day of the week. The fact that it's the first day of the week, I think, is very significant here. Why are you and I here gathered on the first day of the week? You see, this is now the great day in which we worship our God. This is the day in which we can say this, that Christ sanctified by, the, by his rising from the dead. And here were these ladies going to the tomb, not so much for a time of worship. We've gathered for a time of worship. These ladies were coming to show one last act of devotion and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to lose sight of that. I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that these ladies in love and devotion do more than what the apostles were able to do at this same time. There, there were the apostles again, and we don't read much about them. We don't see where they were. We don't know what, the, what was going through their mind. But these ladies out of love and devotion, where do we find them? We find them coming to the Lord Jesus Christ to show one last act of love and devotion to the person of Jesus Christ, to honor him in his burial. But what a trip that must have been as they made their way to the, to the, open, to, to, to the uh, tomb. They must have been thinking of all the past events, uh, did, of what had just recently happened. And they saw the one that they loved, they saw him put to death. The one that they loved, they saw him mocked. The one that they loved, they saw him derided. The one that they loved, they saw him spat upon. The one that they loved, they saw him completely disfigured by way of the, uh, by, by way of the torture that he underwent going to the cross. And this must have been this must have been just such a weight on their within their soul and on their mind. I don't know if you know what it's like. I, I don't know that I do uh, to, to 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 observe something like that to have someone that you love that close to be treated in that kind of a way. And these ladies making their way to the tomb. They were identified with one who was publicly mocked, publicly ridiculed. Everything that he stood for was laughed at. You who, who said you can save others, come down from the cross now. Save others and save yourself. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. And, he was, and, and they were identified with them. And you know what it's like to, to face the, again, we don't know what it's like to this extent, but to face the embarrassment of the one or the something that we had all of our hopes tied up in, now dashed to pieces. But love and devotion brought these ladies to the, to the tomb, did it not? So these ladies are walking all of the events of the past few days 
It must have been very difficult for them to stay away on that Sabbath. It must have been very difficult for them to stay away from, from the one that they loved so much. But they did. They were obedient to the law of God. But now on the first opportunity, when an opportunity arises, they go and they go to show this one last act of devotion. But did you notice what we see here in the, in the scripture? It says this, and, and again, bringing spices which they had prepared. You see, as I said before, they came to prepare to make preparations of a dead body for its burial. They did not come with the expectation of the resurrection. It's the same thing that we saw with, with, uh, with uh, Peter as well. There in, ver in verse 12, at the end of verse 12, wondering in himself at that which had come to pass. There's no kind of uh, uh, thinking within uh, the group of the, uh, of the apostles or the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ that he was going to rise from the dead. The scripture seems to make a great emphasis on that, that they did not expect this to happen. So there they were expecting again to see the Lord Jesus Christ still in the grave. And we would understand that. Verse 2, however, this, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. If their journey to the tomb was with heavy hearts, what must it have been to see the tomb open and no body there? What must it have, do you, do you think the first thing they thought in their minds I knew, I knew this was... You think they thought in their mind, this is exact... No. They were probably horrified. And the reason why is because they probably thought not only was it enough that they had to kill my Savior, my Jesus, now they take his body and desecrate it? Now they have the, the nerve to rob a grave? in order to show how much they hate him? I would not be surprised at all if this is exactly what they were thinking. What happened to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Nobody goes into a grave and, and takes a body out who has any good intentions toward that body. In history, we read, of some, we read of bizarre situations, bizarre occurrences, where in order, to, to, in order to inflict one last insult upon a person, they dig up a body and they mock it or whatever. And I wouldn't be surprised that this is what these ladies thought. And so there they were on this day that we come into, in, into our assembly with, with joyous hearts. There they were going to the tomb, weighed down, coming to the tomb, horrified. And what happens? Again in verse 4, And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabouts. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Well, again, this is the ministry of angels. And as, they, and, and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Stop and think of this ministry of the angels. I think this is, again, something that we see throughout the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw it at the beginning of his, of his, of his life, did we not? The incarnation. And I find it very interesting that, uh, that when the angels uh, announced his birth, one of the signs that they gave uh, to the shepherds was that you will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. Here is the angel pointing out again the clothes wrapped in swaddling clothes and, and the Lord Jesus Christ having been prepared in, uh, in uh, having his body wrapped. But the angel, that's not so much what he points to. 
What the angel makes a particular emphasis on is on the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. But first, he asks a question, a question which is, which is pertinent to every one of us. And the question is this, why seek ye the living among the dead? And it's something, again, it's, it's something of a, of a reproof uh, to the ladies. The angel is saying somewhat tenderly to the ladies, you should know. You should know that he had said that he would not lay in the, in the grave. You should know that he said that he would rise again. Why seek ye the living among the dead? What a question this is. What a question this is. It's a question for churches. How is it a question for churches? When individuals come to, to know something about God in our churches, in our church, are they coming to see the living among the, to find the living Christ among the dead, among the dead church? I hope not. It's a question not only for our churches, it's a question for each and every one of us by way of our lives. How is that? Well, I pose you this question. Why seek ye the meaning of life among those that are dead? Why look to the world for the definition of life? When life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, why seek ye the living among the dead? It's a very pertinent question. In its first, in, in its first application, it's to the ladies. Oh, ladies, you should have understood and realized and grasped the fact that Jesus Christ promised to rise again. But by way of its application, it has hands, we might say. And the hands, by way of this application, comes to us as a church. Here we are proclaiming a risen Savior. Do we have true spiritual life within us? Is there, are there the marks of spiritual life among us? Those of you, those of you who, who may have your friends who come to you and ask you questions about Christ, is there life in the soul that you can point to this living Savior? And to those of you who may be asking yourselves these questions about life, what is life all about? Why would you go to the dead to see questions about life? Why would you go to the world that when all is said and done, it's going to come to nothing? When the one who gives you life and offers you true life is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Why seek ye the living among the dead? What a question to consider on this resurrection morning. But again, the question is, is just, a, as I said before in our context here, it's just to set up uh, really uh, what the angel, the message that the angel is trying to get across. And, what the, and, the, and the message that the angel is trying to get across is essentially this. Notice this, verse 6. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, and again, we'll, we'll take a look at the words, but the first thing I want you to remember is, or notice is this. While the women look into the tomb and see the cloths, the grave clothes, that's not what the angel directs them to. And I find this very interesting, as I said a few minutes ago. Our physical proofs for the resurrection of Jesus Christ are very important to us. The empty tomb, it speaks, as it were. The, the fact of our Lord Jesus Christ even making use of the empirical evidence of his resurrected body. But that's not where the angel directs the attention of these ladies. Rather, what the angel does is he directs the attention of these ladies back to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is highly significant. Because in one sense, we might say this, 
that the proof that the angel is setting forth for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not empirical physical evidence. The proof that the angel is setting forth for the resurrection of Jesus Christ are the very words of promise itself given by Christ. The word of Jesus Christ. We might be able to say this, and I hope you can. How do you know that Christ has risen from the dead? Because he said he would rise from the dead. That's what the angel says. And while we thank God for the physical evidence, we thank God for external testimony, we would not turn away any of these things. But when all is said and done, don't you remember the word that he spake? Oh, you see these words of Jesus. These words of Jesus. Peter calls them words of eternal life. Where shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. These words of Jesus, do you remember what Jesus said one day about his own words? He says one day his words will be the, will be the standard of judgment under which we all must stand and be evaluated. You see, these words of Jesus Christ are life-giving words. These words of Jesus Christ, do you remember what he said about them? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's why the angel said, he said he was going to be risen. He said he was going to raise, be raised again. And that's the evidence. It's sufficient evidence. And again, this idea of testimony uh, concerning a sp the, the spoken word of God is sufficient. The, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ will upbraid the apostles for not believing the testimony of the women. You see, the testimony of the word of God and the testimony of the people of God, God looks at that as sufficient to convict and to bring about conversion of souls. And so I ask you the question, how do you respond to these words of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, you're, you're hearing the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as we read them to you. And I understand that the people say, listen, I want evidence. We understand that. We all realize that there is a sense in which uh, the way we're, we're, we're made by, uh, just by the way God has made us, uh, that, 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 that we want the evidence for things and proof for things. We understand that. But there's no evidence like the word of one that you trust. And in one sense, when you're confronted or, or when you're comforted better with the words of the one that you trust, it, it takes care of everything else. You may see things that from, your, from one perspective, from the empirical perspective, you would say, boy, I don't see how that's going to work out. But so-and-so said, I don't see how this is going to work, but so-and-so said. And when it comes to these matters of eternal life, you see, how can one rise from the dead? Don't you see that the Lord Jesus Christ said that he would rise from the dead? And don't you see when you look at the very nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is, again, the prince of life. It's not possible that death would hold him. But I want you to see here that when the ladies, when the women are at the tomb, what does the angel do? He points them back. He points the ladies to the spoken words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Verse six, uh, verse 5, now verse 6. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. Well, this brings us to a very important kind of factual note in the Gospels. And that factual note is this. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke often of his death and his resurrection. This was not something that should have taken anyone by surprise. It certainly did not take our Lord Jesus Christ by surprise. And what's interesting is that when you look in the, in the very, at the various uh, places where we see uh, the reference to our, Lord's, uh, our, our, our Lord referring to his, his impending uh, death and resurrection, what's interesting is that it really comes into focus... After Peter's confession of faith, 
when the Lord and 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 Mark, it's in Mark chapter eight, and Matthew, it's in Matthew chapter sixteen. But the Lord Jesus Christ asked a great question: Who do men say that I am? And the answer is given. Some say, you know, you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets risen from the. But and again, I I love the, the the how the Lord Jesus Christ applies the word. Please understand this. Jesus always applies his word. Jesus always brings it home personally. Who do men say that I am? But who do you say that I am? Christ is still asking that question. Who do you say that Christ is? Is Christ merely a figure of history? Or is Christ the one that he says he is? But what I want you to see is this. Once Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, once he does that, our Lord at this time now begins to unfold on at least three separate occasions the fact that he must go to Jerusalem and die. Now, this was not something that was easily embraced or understood by the apostles. This is something that we see in a number of places. As a matter of fact, if we look at Mark's account of this, in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, we have the confession of, by Peter that Jesus is the Christ. But listen to what happens here. Mark eight thirty-one, And he began to teach them. And now notice this, he's teaching them, he's not just saying this off of the cuff, he's, he's explaining this. He begins to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and of the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Verse 32, and he, and he spake that saying openly. Now listen to the response that we see of Peter. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. I'm not, I'm not going to belittle Peter in any, in any way here. But what I want you to see is how the, this, this message is not sinking in. Whatever they understand about Jesus, the fact that he had to die for their sins and be raised the third day isn't sinking in. We see this again in, in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32. And they departed thence, and they passed through Galilee. Remember the angel said, remember what he said in Galilee? And they and here in Mark chapter 9, they departed thence and they passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the, into the hands of men. And they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Now verse 32. But they understood not that saying, and I find this interesting, and they were afraid to ask him. I don't, I'm not trying to be humorous here, but... It could very well be that when Peter rebuked the Lord Jesus for saying that he must die and rise, rise again, and the Lord rebuked Peter, that after that point, if they didn't understand it, they were just kind of afraid to ask the question. <laughs> so it may be, you know, I'm not trying to be funny, but that may have been what the, uh, what the reasoning there was. And then thirdly, in Mark chapter 10, verse 33 and 34, Jesus says this, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests, and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and they shall spit upon him, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. You see, these things were foretold by the Lord Jesus Christ. This was not a mystery. These events were not just a tragedy that happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to the cross with a purpose. And you know what that purpose is. You understand what that purpose is, or do you? Do you know the purpose of our Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross was for you? You see, when we take a look here in a few minutes, when we talk about how that Jesus said he must, these things must happen to him, they must happen to them in order for you and me to receive the, the offer 
and then the blessing of eternal life. And I set before you the offer of eternal life. Do you understand that everything that Jesus said he was going to go through, did you hear what he said? Spit upon, mocked, treated cruelly, killed. All these things for you and for me. This is the necessity of the saving work of Christ. And what we're going to see, you may not have noticed this, but what we're going to see that when our Lord Jesus Christ uses that word delivered, there's something very specific about that. The Lord Jesus Christ is not killed by way of mob action. He's not killed in a, in a, in a riotous frenzy. No, something very deliberate takes place. And it's all necessary in order that you and I may have the offer of eternal life. We'll get to that here. So we see this son of man, the son of man must. Remember not how he said unto you. Again in verse, uh, uh, and, and remember in verse six. Remember not how he spake unto you while he was yet in Galilee. Saying, verse seven, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. It's kind of interesting. We don't catch it when we're reading it, but there's that word must. Luke is very fond of this word. In the Gospel of Luke, I think I read it happens, it's used about 19 times. And oftentimes when it's used, it has the weight, we would say it like this, of divine necessity behind it. In other words, it's not like just a word that's using to fill, one, fill in one idea in between another. But rather, it has the sense of full weight and of divine injunction and necessity behind it. It was divinely necessary. That's what's being said here. The Lord had said that on the, three, on the three times that he spoke this. The angel said it as well. How that he must. There was a divine necessity behind the Lord Jesus Christ undergoing what he did. And I want you to consider the three things that he had to go through. That he must go through. First of all, again, we saw in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and by the testimony of the angels here now, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man, men. Well, the first thing I want you to notice is the title, the Son of Man. It's interesting, is it not, the many titles we see of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Scripture? And while there are a number of ideas that are included with the concept of Son of Man, one of the things that we should consider in this title, the Son of Man, is that it is the title of our Lord's humanity. One of the, one of the meanings of this title is our Lord's humanity. There are other things involved as well. Elements of his messianic character come into play here. But what I want you to see is that this is a reference to his humanity. And it's used in one sense... In to make a distinction between a name that is given to him or a title that is given to him that represents his Jewish descent. That's the son of David. Here it's the son of man. Is there any significance to this? Can I suggest the following? That when our Lord Jesus Christ goes to the cross, he goes to the cross not only as the son of David, a descendant of the Jews, dying for Jews, he goes as the son of man, dying for Jew and Gentile alike, dying for humanity, dying for every class of sinner everywhere. You see, this is our Lord Jesus Christ. The son of man must. No other one could do this. No other one was equipped. No other one was suited for this task. And so the angel says the son of man, well, the son of man must. The son of man must be delivered, we see. Well, this word for deliver is a, is an interesting, it's an important word. 
Oftentimes it has all the connotations of, a, of, of, of legal action. Uh, it has the idea of being delivered uh, by way of a legal authority uh, to judgment. That's very much, that's, very, that's the idea here. And as I said before, the emphasis at this point is not that our Lord Jesus Christ was just killed by way of mob action. That's not what's happening. It is something very deliberate and specific. And in, and in considering what our Lord is, the Lamb of God, in this being delivered over to the hands of sinful men, he's delivered over in order that he might be examined. He undergoes a trial, does he not? He undergoes a Jewish trial. He undergoes a Gentile trial. And in both of these trials, there is an inability to attach anything to him other than, other than by way of the, the kind of evil workings of the chief priest. But what I want you to see is this. Here is our Lord being delivered over in order to be examined. You know the passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that Christ is, the, is our Passover, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Well, the Passover lamb, you remember, had to be examined. It's very interesting when you take a look at, at the responsibilities of the high priest, or the priestly class anyway, on that Passover, in that Passover season. It was the responsibility, you remember, to examine the lambs that were to be offered for sacrifice. I believe it's Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Your, your lamb shall be without blemish. And what would happen is that the priest would examine the animals that were offered for sacrifice. And there was our Lord Jesus Christ being examined by the priestly class. It could very well be that Annas and Caiaphas, Annas, as we said the other night, the, the kind of power behind the power, Caiaphas, the acting high priest at that time, we don't know if they themselves would have been involved in the actual examination of lambs that were brought on that Passover season to be sacrificed on that Passover. But isn't it an interesting picture to think our Lord Jesus Christ delivered over to the priest to be examined? And then our Lord Jesus Christ delivered over to Pilate to be examined? And no spot or blemish was found. You see, this is your lamb. This is your Passover lamb. He was examined by, by Jew and Gentile alike. And he was shown to be without blemish. And it's this very lamb of God who gives himself for you. So again, he must be delivered. The angel goes on to say this. In verse again, in verse 7, he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. Well, this is interesting, is it not? He must be crucified. Not he must die. Must he be crucified? Would not death suffice? And this is where we see over and over again that no, a mere death would not suffice. A specific death was needed. And that specific death was the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Oh, a number of things are, 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 are to be brought to our attention here. Why must he be crucified? He must be crucified, if nothing else, to fulfill prophecy. You remember the passage of Scripture from Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son. There was Jesus Christ pierced on the cross for you. That's why he must die to fulfill prophecy, if nothing else. Psalm 22, verse 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. It's often said at this time that crucifixion was unknown to the Jews uh, when this psalm was written. 
Crucifixion was the Roman form of, of execution. And what we see happening here is when our Lord says, when the angel says that our Lord said he must be crucified, he is saying these things in order to fulfill all the Old Testament types. The lamb must be examined. He must be without blemish. He must be pierced. He must be put to death in a certain way. But not only must he be pierced, and I find this very interesting, and this, this, this may be somewhat confusing to you. I hope that it's not. We'll see if we can work through this. The next thing that we see, not only must he be pierced, but he must hang publicly. And oftentimes when we read this passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, if any man have committed a sin worthy of death, and if he be put to death, thou, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. And this becomes a very important theme in all of New Testament preaching. Three times in the book of Acts, Jesus, in, three times in the book of, the, of Acts, the apostles, when they preach the death of Jesus, preach it from the perspective of him hanging on a tree. They don't say he was nailed to the cross. They said he was hanging on a tree. Peter picks this up as well. Paul makes re reference to, the, uh, to this also. What, what, so what's the significance of this? Well, the significance of it is essentially this. In this act of hanging on a tree, the concept is not so much what we know in our day as lynching. That's not so much what's being spoken of. But rather what's being spoken of is the exposure to public view indicating that the individual is cursed of God. And so when Jesus hangs on the cross, he has with him the curse of God upon him. That's another important theme in the preaching of the gospel. Because the curse of my sin was on Christ that day. The curse of your sin was on Christ that day. And I ask you the question, have you embraced this unblemished Passover lamb who bears a curse for you? And there is Christ hanging. You see, he must be delivered. You see, he must be crucified. No other form of death will, will, will fulfill the scriptures. But did you notice the last thing that said, Oh, it took me a long time to get to, a, to, to our resurrection thing, didn't it? But here it is. Did you notice the last thing that the angel said? And, the, and he must the third day rise again. Christ must rise. It was an inevitability. Death could not keep him in the grave. Nothing in heaven, nothing on earth or in hell could keep Jesus from rising from the dead. That's the very thing that we're seeing here. And that's the very faith that I want you to embrace. That there is a reality in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is, again, a certainty in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that angels themselves speak of. And so he says here again that the Son of Man must be raised again. Oh, this idea of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the necessity of the resurrection. Well, again, we've asked all these questions. Why must Jesus, we asked all these questions. Uh, why must he be delivered? Uh, why, must, uh, why must he be crucified? Now we ask these questions. Why must he raise? Why must he be raised up? Well, in one sense, it's, it's a necessity of nature. We, if we can put it that way, or maybe we should say of supernature. Because it would be impossible for Jesus Christ as the prince of life to be held by death. This is exactly what goes into the preaching on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. You see, the power of Christ as the source of, the source of life cannot be kept in the grave. 
He will take on humanity in order to die for you and me. But death cannot hold him. He will take on humanity and hang on, and hang on, a, on a tree on a cross in order to bear my curse and your curse. But death cannot keep him. He will be delivered over by, uh, uh, to sinful men in order that they might examine him and in order that they might condemn him even though he's innocent. But death cannot hold him. You see, he must rise again from the dead. Oh, this necessity of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why was it necessary? Well, we come back to these same ideas. It was necessary because he foretold it. Don't you see that none of the words of Jesus Christ can fall to the ground unfulfilled? And that speaks to you and that speaks to me. That speaks to my present situation and that speaks to my future. That speaks to my living day and all my uncertainties and all my questions and all my need to help for help. There's a, there, there, there's a living Savior who's made promises to me. That speaks to my dying day as well. You see, on, on your dying day, you will have to deal with the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And none of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ fall to the ground unfulfilled. And so again, why must Christ rise? He must rise because he said he would. Matthew 16, 21, the, the same, the same uh, uh, passage, the parallel passage. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. You see, again, he who is the truth can speak no lie. Therefore, he must be raised up. He must be raised up to prove uh, the, 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 uh, the truthfulness of the Old Testament scriptures. Again, Psalm 16, verse 10, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. God will not suffer his son to remain in the, gra in the grave. God had to raise him up. God did raise him up. He had to raise him up because, again, death had to be defeated. This is the great reality of the gospel, the defeat of death. The death of death and the death of Jesus Christ, that great title. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. And, and, and the rebuke of his people shall, take, shall he take away from the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. You see, the Lord has spoken it. It has to come to pass. That's why he must be raised up because he spoke it. Hosea 13, uh, verse 14, again, uh, with, along with Isaiah 25 being used by Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15. But Hosea 13, verse 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Oh, death, I will be thy plagues. Jesus Christ, the destroyer of death, you see, he had to raise. He had to be raised. And so again, this is, these are some of the reasons why the Lord Jesus Christ had to be raised up. Why else must he be raised? Well, he must be raised again to vindicate all of his claims. First, I'm sorry, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Again, declared to be the son, of, uh, the son of God with power through the resurrection of the dead. When God the Father raised up the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's very interesting because when you take a look at the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see it attributed again to every member of the Godhead. Primarily, it's attributed to God the Father. And there is a sense that we're, in which that's appropriate because what we see happening there is that, is that God the Father is, in one sense, he is confirming and he is ratifying everything that his son did and said. And when the Lord, when, when the Father raised up the Son, He was conferring on Him great honor and great dignity. There's another sense in which we read in the Scripture where the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. Romans chapter six: For if the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and again, the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels, He oftentimes speak, speaks of His own inherent ability to raise Himself up, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
But what I want you to see is that primarily it is the work of the Father in raising the Son. And so what does the resurrection prove to show to you and to me? It proves to show to you and me the acceptance of the work of Jesus Christ as a substitute for sinners. We keep keep coming back to this, don't we? There's, There's no other way to explain the work of Jesus Christ. As I said before, he was not a mere victim. It wasn't a tragedy that Jesus died. I remember one, one, once I was, I was in a nursing home preaching and, and a very well-intended uh, elderly lady, very well-intended, we were preaching on the death of Christ. She says, oh, what a tragedy what they did to him. And I had to gently say, well, it wasn't a tragedy. From, we can understand from one standpoint why people would say that. It wasn't a tragedy. It was the purpose of God to redeem sinners, to redeem you and me. And so again, this, this necessity for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or you see, he had, to, he had to rise from the dead in order that in order that he had to rise from the dead in order that miserable sinners like you and I can have hope in this world. And I want you to know and understand that this is exactly what all those who have embraced Jesus Christ by faith have. This resurrection morning, it is God's day to you to remind you that death and sin, Satan and hell are not and will not be victorious in this thing, that it is the purposes of God that indeed will come to pass. The last thing I want you to see here is the response of the women. Look at verse 8. And they remembered his words. It makes all the difference now. The words of Christ settled into the hearts. That's right. Christ said that. And some of you know what it is to remember the words of Christ in your moment of need. Discombobulated for a moment. Weighed down. Wondering what's going to happen. And then you remember the words of Christ. You see, this is the Savior who gave himself for you. This is the Savior who death could not hold. This is the Savior whose resurrection we celebrate. This is the Savior who not only in history was raised from the dead, but now was a living Savior for you. And so I ask you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, receive this one and embrace this one by faith. Stop and think of what we've seen. These very lovely, these devoted ladies showing the last, the, the last measure of love uh, to, 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 to the Lord Jesus Christ, weighed down with all, the, with all of the, the despondency that we could imagine seeing something that would have even horrified them even more, an empty grave, but then being pointed to the word of God. What help can I be to you here today? Can I speak excitedly about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Yes, I want to do that. That might serve you for a moment or two to see somebody moved with emotion and speaking of these things. But when it's all said and done, It's not my emotion that's going to secure you. It's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he must rise. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ that one day you and I must deal with. And so again, the sorrow turned to joy. And while the physical proofs of the resurrection are important, it's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that secure for us the reality of this resurrection. And the last thing I want you to see is this, this necessity. He must be delivered. He must be crucified. He must be raised. There's another must. And that is one day we must all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account to all those who
who are trusting in him and resting in him, to all those who are trusting and resting in him, there is the promise of eternal life. To all those who reject him, the curse that he bore on the cross must be the curse that you bear for your own sins. Why stand before a holy God, a holy and righteous God, bearing your own sin when Christ has bore it for you? Well, my friends, my brothers and sisters, I set before you a risen Christ, a risen Christ verified by an empty tomb, a risen Christ proven and validated by the words of an apostle, a risen Christ who speaks to your heart now. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we do ask and pray that you would be with us on this resurrection morning. Help us, we pray, Lord God, to embrace by faith the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and let them settle deep within our hearts that he indeed is risen because it was impossible for death to hold him. Grant, Father, these things we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.